Good evening. It is so wonderful to be able to come together in the way that we are tonight to worship in spirit and in truth and know that God is pleased with us. Some of you may be wondering while I'm up here tonight and Brother Randy being here, but a couple, I guess three, four weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, Brother Randy came to me and asked me if I would like to do the, come up with the idea of bringing the lesson once a month on the last Sunday night of every month, and I give that some thought, and we talked to the elders, and they were glad to let me do that, and I appreciate that once again, and I appreciate your all's kind words and encouragement as I undergo to take this endeavor. As we turn our attention to our lesson tonight, it's entitled Lessons from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are going to look at this rather powerful scene from Daniel chapter 3. And learn some lessons from that. Isn't it true in Romans 15, chapter 15 verse 4, we are told, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And that's our intent for our lesson tonight. And as this scene is familiar with us, this narrative is, it's always good to go back and reflect on it and the things that we can learn from it. It's truly a powerful lesson in serving one God, trusting in his deliverance, and being able to die for him no matter the circumstance. And that is true for our life as a Christian today, isn't it? So with that, let's come to Daniel chapter 3, and let's go over overview of that, maybe refresh our memories, some of that, and then draw lessons from that for the remainder of our time this evening. So we all know King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at the time, and he had become very, very powerful in his ruling. And he, his demeanor and his personality became such that he felt as he was equal or better than God. So I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll probably go ahead and read the whole chapter in its entirety just so we refresh our memory. So Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providences to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providences were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cry aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, sorcery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. 
And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall that same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people of the nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall, that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worship the image, and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, harp sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto the king, but, but be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his vestige was charged against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thereof he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the, f and the, form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the, burn, of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair on their head singed. Neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed, changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And that's chapter 3 in its entirety. So I hope now that our minds have been refreshed on that whole scene, we'll come to our first lesson for us today, denominationalism. Isn't it true that King Nebuchadnezzar made a new form of religion in that land, through idolatry of course, by erecting this image and demanding that these individuals worship it? That can be said true for us today in our land. The reality of man-made religious organizations and in Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9 we see a warning from Jesus. Again that's Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And on the next set of verses, and coming to verse 13, we see Jesus amplify that thought by this, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath planted not shall be rooted up. So now coming down the stream of time since then, and the research that I was able to do, and we all may be familiar with this, there is roughly 40,000, quote, religious organizations in our land, or in the world today. So we may think, how can this be, from verses that were told like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, now I beseech you, beseech you therefore, before brethren by the name of Jesus Christ that ye speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgments so today we see all these religious organizations this one teaches baptism is essential for salvation this one doesn't worship styles are all different so, and we all see this, we're all familiar with them. 
We see this from the Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, and the community church movement. And I found it appropriate to add, we may be familiar with this timeline. This is the timeline from uh, Don Blackwell's World Video Bible School production. And I admit it's not that all that clear, but we can get the idea from this. From the time of the Council of Nicaea, which occurred in 325 A.D., onward from today, this is the reality and the mess that we as the Church of Christ are faced with. Going back to our previous slide. And with all these false teachings and all these false denominations, it could be a temptation for us today to leave the body of Christ, as tragic as we all know that some have done. Maybe you have family members that have done that. But the bottom line of that is most of the time, these individuals find themselves in the crosshairs and clinched by the devil. They're in a sin that they really don't want to do anything about it, so instead of owning up to that, they find a religious group that accepts them with open arms. They try to change the Bible and change the plan of and forgiveness by joining one of these denominations that they're happy with. And may that never be so in the Church of Christ. May we always stay rooted and grounded, as we are told in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, to stay true to that life. So just like King Nebuchadnezzar did, it's before us today. And there's true, the true, there is also true that in that time, there was worship of other gods and goddesses, and idols, and that may not be that common today in our land, but a powerful lesson like from denominationalism and being prepared to stand for what's right is of the utmost importance. Lesson number two, bravery and boldness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were certainly not afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar in his power. Though powerful he was, he had the power and authority to do anything he wanted to. They weren't afraid of him. If we'll go back to verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto, the king, unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Talk about bravery and boldness and courage from these three. Here they were in the midst of perhaps a fairly large group of people. And here they were standing out when the music played, everyone else bowed down, but there they were 
And then they were not afraid to stand for their God. So as we come to today, we have to have as faithful Christians a sense of bravery and boldness to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the one true church of Christ. We are told in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, from the lips of Jesus, he gives us another warning. He says, And fear not them which can kill the body, but are, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him which is able to destroy both, so, both soul and body in hell. We're not to fear men. Although men may make it hard on us, and although they may, even Jesus said here, to the point of death, take our life, we're still not to fear them because men can't do anything about eternity. God can. And in Matthew 16, 18, we're given that pronouncement of Jesus' one true church that we must stand for. And at the end of the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, really puts the icing on the cake of that thought. He says, All power had been, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's plain, my friend. That is our obligation and our duty to do that. And we can also learn from Acts chapter 10, 46, as well as Ephesians 6, 20, of examples of Paul speaking boldly regarding the church, regarding religious matters. Next lesson. Willingness to die. These three, it can truly be said, were willing to die for the one true God, just as we today have to be willing to die for that one true church, one true God, and one true Son of God. That also brings us to uncertainty in our land, things that we're faced with, targeted shootings, passing of laws, and in those targeted shootings, the research I was able to find, community college in 2015 in the state of Oregon, the shooter entered the building and specifically targeted Christians. They were singled out. So we may, I may be taking this illustration to the extreme, but imagine ourselves in that predicament, in that state and where our life could be threatened because we're Christians. Would we stand and die for the church, die at, because we're Christians? Or would we deny Christ and not do anything? Because remember, he's told us if we deny him, he will deny us on the day of judgment.
and also the passing of laws. We know in other world countries, places like India and things like that, missionaries in the church have to be extremely careful because of the laws in that land. It is illegal in some areas to, for them to come in and preach the gospel. Now, I don't know, as any of us know, what 30 or 40, 50 years may bring for us if God chooses to allow time to stand. But what about in our land? What if the law passes that forbids us to come and worship as we're assembled like we are tonight? Would we meet in secret? Or would we just lose our faith, lose our life in Christ, and do nothing about it? Or would we really, truly want to die for Christ? And we see this from examples from Jesus. In Revelation 2.10, he says, Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And here they were, a congregation of the Lord's people. They were going to be faced with challenging circumstances, maybe that would even result in death for them in that time, because that time Christianity was not legalized yet. It was still illegal. But Jesus said, ultimately, be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He says, I know it's hard. Look what they did to me. They crucified me. I know it's hard. I know what you're going through, but be faithful. And also, in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, we're given another warning from Jesus. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It's very comforting to a Christian to know, especially in verse 19, that we are not of this world. We are chosen out of it. We live for Christ. And although it may not be easy, there may be hardship ahead of us but it'll test our faith but that will be the ultimate ultimate test for eternal life won't it and we can also take examples from Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 again that's Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and let us not be, be weary in well-doing, for in due, due season we shall reap if we faint not. Question, what are we going to reap? It'll be that eternal life, won't it? If we stay and remain faithful, no matter what the circumstance, learning from Daniel chapter 3 as our ultimate lesson to be faithful until death, we will gain that eternal reward. And also in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul here, we see him in a dilemma. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, 
having a desire to, to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in one flesh, it is more needful for you. So here Paul was. He wanted to go to Christ. He wanted to go be with Christ. But for that time, he felt it better to be for the congregation, for their needs, for their spiritual growth. Our attitude should be the same. Always being ready to be with Christ, desiring to depart, looking forward to the day of judgment, and not loving the world. So our mindset should always be directed in a way to die for the, for the cause of Christ as explained in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Next lesson. Lesson four. Our last lesson tonight will be belief. King Nebuchadnezzar believed after witnessing this powerful, powerful deliverance from God, didn't he? In Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, he says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So here, Nebuchadnezzar believed in God. And we see his reference to God throughout the rest of the chapter. But then again, he loses that. We all know in chapter 4, he became too great in his leadership again, claiming to be God again. And God turned him into a beast of the field as a punishment for that. But perhaps that would be another lesson for another time. But for, for us today, isn't belief a vital, vital part in the plan of salvation? It precedes baptism. We all know that. And examples for that come from Acts chapter 8, verse 37, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And we all know that story well. They were in a discussion, and he desired for Philip to preach to him. And he says in verse 37, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So here he believed and he made that wonderful confession that we must do today. And of course we know that he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water and Philip and the, eun and the eunuch and he baptized him. And also another example of that belief that really relates well to King Nebuchadnezzar is the example of Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. And in verse 3, or I'm sorry, in verse 4, 
he says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying from him, unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Let's stop right there. Notice this. Saul knew very well who the Lord was. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And how this relates to King Nebuchadnezzar is when he commanded that those three men be thrown into the midst of that fire. And when the fourth being appeared, that was the Son of God himself, he knew very well who it was. He had apparently knowledge in God and ultimately his belief resulted in that ultimate belief, didn't it? So as we come to the end of our lesson tonight, we all know that belief is a vital part of the plan of salvation. How is your life with Christ tonight? And from these four lessons that we learned can be in a conclusion like this. Have you grown weak in your faith? Have you been given into thinking that just any religious organizations are pleasing to God? Because we all know from the teachings of the New Testament that they're not. And we all see what happened when the king did this. Or have you not had the bravery and boldness to stand for the gospel in Christ? Have you, maybe an individual has asked you what you believe and you just really don't have any interest in their well-being? Or upon thinking, would I really die for the cause of Christ if that presented itself to me? If that's our answer, and if our answer is no, then we have a serious heart problem and it really shows where our love is, doesn't it? We need to fix that. Or have you not believed or even given in to the plan of salvation because it is the only way to regain, to regain remission of sin and be added to the church? One has to hear the word, Romans ten seventeen, Believe with all your heart, Mark 16, 16. Repent, that change of mind that leads in that change in behavior and action. And confess his name as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9. And lastly, be baptized for the remission of your sins. Once you have done that, you will then be added to the church, walking hand in hand, just as we sung a moment ago, that song with Christ. And if you remain faithful until death, heaven will be yours. Or perhaps you have been baptized and you have, in the recent years and months, you have lost sight of that. Come, you can come back down this aisle. You can come back to your first love. And if you confess those things, we'll be happy to pray for you and with you. Just as that occurred to Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. If we can assist anyone tonight in these two ways, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing.